It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Whew. All right, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always find the show if you ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And, uh, well, this was a weird one, wasn't it? In case you missed yesterday's episode, I spent quite a bit of it discussing the loss of Anthony Barr and what that means and the compensatory picks and what it'll take to replace him and, and what's going to happen to him in you know with the New York Jets and all that. And then we got up this morning, we saw that Sheldon Richardson had signed with the Browns, we'll talk about that. And then a few hours later, plot twist, as Mike Garofolo put it, Anthony Barr spurned the Jets and came back. So we have a whole bunch of weirdness to discuss. I also want to discuss a little bit about what's going on elsewhere in the league and how it relates to the Vikings because the landscape of the league is changing and that's going to matter both for like the draft and for the division and stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So we have a whole bunch to get to, but boy, this is a weird one. And let's just start with the craziest news, the thing that everybody's been talking about, which is Anthony Barr. So there's a great article at The Athletic about how this all went down and kind of the behind the scenes or a little bit of the behind the scenes of just telling the story of the whole saga with Anthony Barr. But I'll recap it for you because I know it's behind a paywall. I'll link it in the show notes. You should read it, though. They're going to do a better job than I can. So picking up basically where we left off on yesterday's show, where Anthony Barr had signed in principle with the Jets. It looked like it was going to be like a $14, $15 million deal. We were talking like, uh, the Vikings get a third round compensatory pick. So there's that. But now they have to look at the draft or, you know, draft Devin White or try to get like Jamie Collins or something. And we weren't sure if the Jets were still going to get CJ Mosley or make a big push push for Le'Veon Bell, a lot of moving parts, but by and large, the Vikings were were left worse for it. You know, the Anthony Barr is an incredible player, an incredible off-ball linebacker, especially on blitzes, and losing that hurts and is difficult to replace. We talked a bunch about it. The Vikings very vocally felt the same way. They really, really wanted to keep Anthony Barr. Every time they were asked about it, they said, no, we want to keep him. Anthony Barr very vocally loves it in Minnesota, and he wanted to stay. But ultimately, the money just wasn't there. You know, the Jets are offering 14 or $15 million, and the Vikings just couldn't get close to that. They couldn't sniff it. So then this report comes out that after... Anthony Barr shakes hands with the Jets. And remember, this is all just tampering. So no signatures have been signed. Everybody can back out whenever they want. It's it's all just negotiating at this time. And come probably the time you're listening to this, the actual league year will turn over and these contracts will get signed on the dotted line. But for now, players can back out whenever. And, and I've seen some stuff like, what's the point of the tampering period? These deals are just getting made like it's free agency. Well, this is the point that players have this option. And so do teams, to be honest. So apparently Anthony Barr goes to bed, you know, on on Monday night, wakes up Tuesday morning, and he feels just, quote, physically sick about it and and doesn't want to leave Minnesota and doesn't want to go play for the Jets, which is, boy, that is an indictment of the Jets because he ends up taking a lower deal to play here. But he essentially goes back to Minnesota and he had taken every contract offer he'd get and he would give Minnesota a chance to match and say, listen, I like I want you guys to be the ones paying me this contract. Pay me this and I stay. But the Vikings would never be able to do that. So after waking up Tuesday morning and feeling sick about it, he rekindles the conversation and says, you know, listen, I really want to stay. Is there anything you can do? And the Vikings say, well, we can't match that. That's just way beyond our price range. But we can get close. Here's $13.5 million a year. 
what do you got? And Anthony Barr takes it. And now he's going to stay a Viking for five years. He's going to play here into his 30s, probably going to retire a Viking or get very close to retiring a Viking. And honestly, he's one of the best linebackers the Vikings have ever had in their history. And I don't think that's even that controversial to say. So having that guy locked down for a long time makes me happy as a fan, but also as somebody trying to analyze the situation, it just reads like a good move, even though the money seems like a lot right now. This always happens where in a couple of years, you know, the money doesn't seem that big because the cap has gone up and now other people are signing even bigger contracts and stuff. Uh, if you are somebody who doesn't think Barr is very good, you're obviously not going to like the move. But I have a really high opinion of him, and I think that he has impact on the statistics of other players as well as statistics uh, that he generates himself. So I think he's an impactful guy, and the way that Mike Zimmer knows how to use him, I think he's probably at his best in Minnesota versus uh, in New York where they would have moved him to edge rusher and slammed him up against offensive tackles that are way bigger than him all day. He just doesn't have the, the finesse as a pass rusher to get through that. That's why he's a blitzing linebacker, and he has that, that advantage all the time. And compared to other people with that advantage, he's incredible. But he also has that sideline-to-sideline side range and that coverage. And we've talked about it a ton. I don't need to go too deep into it. Point is, I'm a big fan of Anthony Barr. I think he's a very good player, and the fact that he's going to be a Vikings for, for five years is awesome. And the money can work itself out later. But that is something that needs to happen. So this necessitates another move, which... Right now, it's as I'm recording this, it sounds like the move is offering a restructure to Everson Griffin. Uh, it sounds, this is all from Darren Wolfson at KSTP, who's kind of been my point person for trying to figure out what's going on. He's a really reliable source for these rumors. Um, but he has basically said they offered Everson Griffin a restructure and they're waiting on that to, to turn out. And the content of that restructure is very similar to the one that Latavius Murray took last year, where, all right, we're going to shorten your deal so you hit free agency younger and and the player actually will want that in that case you know everson griffin doesn't want to hit free agency at like 36 or whatever he wants to hit free agency now while he still kind of has some gas left in the tank uh and you know we'll lower your pay cut but we'll guarantee or we'll we'll lower your base salary but we'll guarantee you more and we'll shorten your thing so that you can hit free agency and get in on this giant edge market uh and if you don't want that then we'll just release you right now and you won't get any of the money so as I am recording this, the Vikings are waiting for Everson Griffin to make that decision. And meanwhile, a lot of the big top shelf offensive line are going off the market. And we are going to talk about that because it was a huge topic of conversation all day on Tuesday about, you know, Saffold went and Paradise went and all these guys like went to other teams that were willing to pay more money that the Vikings just didn't have. And we'll delve into kind of the reasons behind that and kind of some of the logic behind like not going after the biggest offensive line free agents. But first, I'm going to step away to a quick ad break. And when I come back, uh, we'll talk about Sheldon Richardson and the loss of him. And we'll talk about the offensive line thing and, and also some of the other goings on around the league and how it kind of shapes the way the Vikings need to attack the rest of the offseason. So I'll see you guys in a minute. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, 
Masterclass, or at least your time at home. Masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about the actual loss that the Vikings suffered, which was the departure of Sheldon Richardson. He signed a deal with the Browns for three years, $35 million, so that'll average out to 13 a pop, and will likely net the Vikings the same third-round compensatory draft pick that they were going to get with Barr, provided the Vikings don't sign somebody else of a similar caliber. I think the line is drawn at $10 million a year or more. And considering their cap situation, that feels pretty unlikely, right? After the Griffin restructure, they're going to have something like five or six million left, and they'll have to spend most of that on draft picks, so they'd have to, you know, they'll still have to clear out some space and make some moves if they want to do anything else major in free agency. But in terms of losing Sheldon Richardson, there's been a lot of talk about the three-tech position and whether or not it's important in Zimmer's defense, and I kind of defer to Zimmer on this because he designed it, uh, and, and he talks all the time about how he wants a guy with a quick first step, and he wants, like, a penetrating three-tech, and there's also a lot of data that really supports this. I'll, I'll try to find the old uh, Eric Eager article that we talked about when I did the Pocket Protectors podcast with him and uh, Jason Brown over at Climbing the Pocket. But we talked about the the kind of differences between like interior and exterior pressure, because right now the way the Vikings defensive line is constructed, assuming they don't add a major player at three tech, which is actually pretty likely. I think they really like Shamar Steven. I think they want to keep Tom Johnson um, and, and they're okay with Jaleel Johnson as a depth piece. So, you know, they, they might draft somebody if it comes down to that. But right now, what they're looking at is two really good edge rushers in Griffin and Hunter. And again, I'm, I'm one of the guy, the kind of person that expects Everson Griffin to bounce back. He obviously was going through something during the 2018 season and assume, and I'm kind of assuming that that problem isn't going to repeat itself. Um, but assuming that that works out, and Daniil Hunter is obviously a beast, so you have two really good edge rushers. But what the data says is that good interior pressure plus good exterior pressure is kind of greater than the sum of its parts. They they sort of help to screw with each other, and and that makes a lot of sense, right? Like if you're a quarterback and you're dealing with like your tackle gets beat, well, there's ways to deal with that, right? You step up into the pocket, you evade it, you you roll out of the pocket and figure it out. And same with interior pressure, you know, you can you can step up to the side and you can kind of deal with that. But when there's both, now it's impossible to get away from that, right? Now you have to break the play or you just get sacked often or you have to force a bad throw. Like that can be a lot more impactful than either one is like on its own or like two exterior pressures is probably not going to have the same effect as an exterior and an interior pressure. It's nice to get it from both directions. So if both one of you know the most vaunted defensive coaches in the history of the NFL and the data from the kind of new school of thought both say that, hey, a three tech's probably important for this team. That's the opinion that I'm going to adopt. That's two things that are going to be right way more often than I am, and I'm not going to bet against them. So it kind of does leave a hole that the Vikings are going to probably want to fix. And I know Mike Zimmer will want to fix it. It seems like a lot of, I mean, they've gone, they went into 2017 with Tom Johnson as the starter. And that doesn't really seem like at the time, it didn't seem like they had a viable starter. Like they were just going to kind of let that position not be very good. And in 2018, you know, they went and got Sheldon Richardson and Sheldon Richardson did have an impact. I know I've seen some people really hate on him because of low sack numbers and stuff, but I mean, he had 
really good pressure numbers and he did struggle in the run a little bit. I don't think he quite lived up to his expectations, not the ones I set for him. That doesn't mean he's not a good player. And I think he definitely deserves the contract that Cleveland gave him. Uh, you know, the Vikings were never going to be able to give both him and Barr 13, 13 and a half million dollar a year contracts. They chose Barr over the three tech. I think in a vacuum, you would never pick a linebacker over a defensive lineman. But the way that the Vikings use Anthony Barr, I think, is very unique. And I think classifying him with other off-ball linebackers like C.J. Mosley and Quan Alexander, for example, is probably irresponsible. He just does something a little different with the Vikings. Just spatially, they just use him differently and and comparing him to other off-ball, like random Jasper Brinkley-esque linebackers, I just don't think he plays that same position. I don't think he fills that role. I think he's just a lot more important than those guys tend to be. And the way that the Vikings have behaved and talked about those two players, I think that they fall on the same side of that, of that issue. I think they would agree. So it shouldn't be surprising that they chose Barr over Sheldon Richardson. I know they wanted to get both deals done. In the end, they can only get one done, and Sheldon Richardson went and took the money that he earned in Minnesota to go play for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, he would have gotten, I think, 11 or $12 million if he took the Seattle deal, and he instead took $8 million with three in incentives, and I actually still don't know if he hit those. I never saw that. If anybody does know, at me, I would love to—I'm curious— but he kind of took a shorter prove-it year with the Vikings, used the Vikings as a stepping stone to get a, a bigger payday, and the Vikings got quality three-tech play for a year. So it worked out for both sides. And I, I really hope that he thrives in Cleveland. I had the opportunity to speak with him at training camp, and he really came across as a genuine leadership figure to me. I know he got a really bad rap in New York because he, I think he got restless with contract situations and, you know, the whole, there's a lot of toxicity on the 2016 or 2017 Seattle Seahawks when he played there. So I, I know that he got kind of a bad rap for being like a headache or a locker room cancer, but just, and I didn't talk to him for a long time, but the, the vibe that I got was not of somebody that was restless or somebody that really wanted to, you know, be the center of attention or anything. He seemed like a guy that wanted to elevate everybody around him and win. And I think that that's the kind of leadership figure that's going to go a long way in Cleveland. And I really do think it actually contributed something here, especially when we were losing leadership figures like Everson Griffin in the middle of the season. So that leaves the Vikings looking for an interior defensive lineman, looking for specifically a quick step three tech tackle. When we talk draft, we'll talk all about the options for that and whether or not they want to get a guy like Jerry Tillery up in the top of the draft, or if they want to try to, you know, do this in the fourth round, like the Vikings addressed their, their third linebacker position, where they ended up with a, a competition between an undrafted free agent and a fourth round pick and Gideon and Eric Wilson. Uh, or, or, you know, do they want to attack this like they attacked the slot corner problem where they just threw a first round pick at it and now they're they're loaded there there's a lot of different options for how to try and figure this out the costs are going to be as high as you want them to be again this is all an auction market you spend as much as you're willing to spend so with you know with interior defensive line if you want to spend a big contract or a big draft pick you're going to likely get a quality player unless you bungle the evaluation and if you want to go cheap at it you're going to get what you pay for Speaking of getting what you pay for, the Vikings have not been very active for the rest of this free agency period. They've only made one acquisition. It's Shamar Steven. We talked about him yesterday. And a lot of other players have been going left and right. Roger Saffold has signed a deal. Matt Paradis has signed a deal. Trent Brown signed a deal. A lot of the big name offensive linemen signed these big giant contracts with teams and the Vikings have largely stood pat. Now, the reason that they haven't done anything right now is because they're waiting for the cap space to clear. They need Everson Griffin to make a decision on that restructure so they know that it 
you know, he's either going to be a restructure or he's going to be a cap casualty, and they need to know what that is before they know what deals they can offer. But they also have, you know, watched a, another generation of big-time offensive line free agents slip through their fingers, and this happens every year, and everybody gets very upset about it. Because, you know, last year it was Andrew Norwell, and they didn't get any piece of that, and they didn't get any piece of, like, Andrew Whitworth the year before that, and Kelechi Yasameli the year before that. And there's always a guy that is, you know, the biggest guard or the biggest lineman in the entire free agent market that the Vikings don't seem to make any effort to go get, or they do try to go get him, but they get outbid, and everybody is like, why don't they care about offensive line? How can they watch all these games and not think they need an offensive line? And I think we need to pump the brakes. But I'm going to go to an ad break first, and then I will explain all of my thoughts on that. And hopefully you don't just stop listening, because I know that this is a really hot take uh, on, on like Vikings media, because everybody is so, so intent on on throwing as many resources as they can at the offensive line problem, but there's a way to deal with that problem, and, and I think it behooves the team to be smart about it. So I'm going to go to the ad break, and I'll explain more on the other side of it. I'll, I'll see y'all in a minute. All right, welcome back. So this is not going to be a segment where I try to downplay the Vikings' offensive line problem. I think we can all agree that pressure has been an issue for the team for years, and it has it has been a detriment to the team for years, had a negative impact on the team's output for years, and it has probably cost them plenty of wins over all of those years. Nobody disputes this. But I think there are a lot of different ways to go about solving that problem. And whatever the Vikings have done in previous years, in my opinion, I, it doesn't matter to me unless you're talking about like firing Spielman for it, which I don't think one positional group is worth tearing apart an entire front office for, but that's a discussion for a different day. I think if we want to look constructively at the offensive line problem and say, okay, how do we fix this? What, what do we do about this? You know, identify the issue, mostly on the interior, though Riley Reef isn't a great tackle and, you know, who knows if Brian O'Neill is going to continue to develop at the, at the rate he was developing, you know, we'll see how all that goes. Um, but the point is they need an influx of talent and they have limited resources to work with. So there's a bunch of different routes that you can take to try to fix this. You could throw a bunch of money at a big name free agent. That's the, the plan everybody wants to take right now because it's the one that's in front of all of our faces. So it's obviously like, I, I think sometimes we look at like, all right, do we sign a big free agent or do we not? And that's the dichotomy. And if we don't, we don't do anything. And you forget about the draft and all that stuff. Like if the Vikings pick up like Cody Ford and... Yadni Kajus, like, we'll all be fine with that, right? Like, the, nobody will act like Rick Spielman didn't do anything about the offensive line. That is a, a, now a five-man unit that I think we can all be at least okay with. But it is one angle to go for. You go find Roger Saffold. Go sign your big dog, Andrew Whitworth. There is, as of this recording, at least Quentin Spain is still out there, and he's seen as one of the better guards out there, so the Vikings still aren't completely, like, declining this option yet. I, and I think that he... he has done enough weird stuff in Tennessee, some of that weird stuff. I, I think he has the skill set for his own scheme, and it would be, like, okay. But the point is, that is something you can do. Go get a big free agent. You could also get a small-time free agent and go for a competition. This is a route the Vikings like to take a lot. I think if it were up to them, 2018 would have been a competition between... Nick Easton and Tom Compton, and Easton probably would have won that if he stayed healthy. I think he's a better guard than Compton, uh, and and they would have been okay with that. And that you know they they really believe in the idea that competition makes things stronger because if you view all players as a range of outcomes, right? If they're really good, they're really good, and that's great. And if they're really bad, you want to be guarded against that. 
So if you have two different like variables like that, the odds that both of them are bad are a lot less than if you're only relying on one. This is a principle that they employ all the time at every position. It's just something that the Vikings and a whole bunch of teams out there, they're not unique in this. A lot of NFL teams think this way. So that's another option, but both of them are free agency. And then the second kind of wave of options is the draft, right? You can draft someone high. You can just pick whatever the best OL available in round one is, or you can pick someone in the mid rounds, like a random, you know, a Ben Powers, or like the Vikings have kind of done a couple times with like TJ Clemmings and Willie Beavers. Those guys were horrible and they did not work out. But, you know, the the idea of getting a, a fourth round level guard is something that actually a lot of other teams do all the time in the third or fourth round. That's actually where, like, the average guard, starting guard is acquired. So that is, like, another option. The Vikings have not really proven that their evaluation skills are conducive to, like, they can't really pick out the diamond in the rough like maybe other teams can. Um, but in the abstract, that's one way to solve an OL problem if you remove it from like Viking specific stuff. So all in all, there's a lot of different ways to deal with this and, and demanding that they deal with it in the way that is in front of our faces right now, I feel like is an irresponsible way to look at this because that might not be the best option. Assuming that dealing with it in the first round of the draft versus dealing with it in, you know, the high marks of free agency all produce the same result, a good offensive lineman, well, maybe it is smarter to deal with it in the first rounds of the draft. And a lot of people would agree with that and say, you know, don't fall for the trap of, you know, the Roger Saffold or the Andrew Norwell. You know, draft the Ronnie Stanley, draft the Laramie Tunsil, get that guy. Pick up, you know, the Mike McGlinchey in the draft, and that'll both, like, be cheaper on your salary cap and probably work out better and give you a better, like, long-term future at the position. And you also have to think, like, when you're building a team, you're not building a team for 2019, you're building a team for 2019 through 2024 or whatever. So you have to think about things that way as well. So let's look at the pros and cons of just, just free agency versus the draft, right? Free agency and the draft, they both have cost, right? The, the NFL teams are given resources in two forms, draft capital and salary cap space. Free agency costs one, draft costs the other, we'll call it a push. But with free agency, you get players who are already proven, right? Like, we are really sure that Roger Saffold is good. Or that, you know, Matt Parody, he's not as good as Roger Saffold, but, like, we're pretty sure that he's, like, a good center. And we aren't necessarily as sure about, like, Andre Dillard or Cody Ford. We are can be pretty sure about them. We can watch their tape. We can say they project really well to the NFL or whatever, but that transition is difficult, and sometimes players that project really, really well to the NFL just flame out. I, I think I'll, Aaron Curry is always the example I go to this. He was drafted third overall, safest pick in the draft, totally flamed out for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the thing about free agents is both free agents and draft picks take a little while to acclimate to the team, and I know some people don't like this as like an excuse for the Vikings' failures in 2018. Uh, looking at you, Matt Collar. But it does happen that, you know, a team will, when they're learning a new playbook and a new, like, terminology, it takes a little bit to get acclimated. And with transitioning from college to the NFL, it's the same thing, uh, but exacerbated. But for the long term, a draft pick looks a lot better than a free agent. Because a free agent, you've already paid, like, a big contract to. And then you'll have to pay another big contract to them when that one expires if you want to keep them. And that's assuming they work out and stuff. And with a draft pick you get all kinds of like opportunities to negotiate that. And, and it turns out that draft picks just end up getting extended, I think, a lot more often than free agents do. So in my opinion, like a draft pick, and you're getting that guy really young too, and you can mold them into what you want, and you can kind of expect them to grow a little bit more. 
because, you know, guys, when they're drafted at, at age 20, they're just not fully matured and, and they haven't learned everything that they're going to learn in their career yet. Where when you get a guy who's already 28 years old, they kind of are who they are. So they are probably more proven, but they're also like there's a lot less of a ceiling for them. They just are who they are. So the point of all of this is to show that like there's kind of pros and cons to this and picking one over the other. I don't think there's a clear answer whether or not, you know, the draft and the long term option and molding a guy and like being, you know, a, a lot more deliberate over the long term about it is better. Or if it's like we just we have a need, go pay a guy and just get him and put him in and the problem will be solved. I don't know which one is better, and I, and I don't think it would be wise to, like, advocate over one or the other, which is why I box so much at people saying they're they're not signing a big-name free agent, and that means, like, fire Rick Spielman or something like that, because that's just not the way that any NFL team is ever going to think. They're never going to think that short-term and in the moment. And as fans, we do, and that's okay because we're not in charge of things, but if you expect the team to think in the moment or to panic because one offensive lineman got taken off the free agent market. Now they need to panic and go get the other one. They're not going to do that, especially not the Vikings that are more slow and deliberate. And we've talked about that in a recent podcast before. They're just not going to do it. So looking at the offensive line market, there are still a few names out there that the Vikings could potentially pursue. I don't know who they're looking at. Everybody that they've been connected to in rumors has already signed somewhere else, so I don't know who they're looking at, though there weren't many rumors like that in the first place. So I'm sure that there's somebody on their board that maybe they're still in negotiations with. They're still just kind of in a holding pattern as I record this because of the Everson Griffin thing. But there was a really interesting tweet by uh, Ryan Boser, who sometimes reports on the Vikings, uh, he did something that I was thinking I wanted to do, and then he did it before me, so good good work. But he just looked at the, the teams in front of the Vikings in draft order, and just every big-name offensive lineman that signed somewhere today signed in a place that picks before the Vikings. And that is really significant, because it means that those guys who were looking at potentially drafting offensive linemen now have resolved their need in free agency, or at least, you know, they, they appear to have resolved their need in free agency. They're not going to sign a big guy and then go draft an offensive lineman in the first round too. That would be redundant. So that means there's a much higher likelihood that one of the bigger offensive linemen in the draft, one of the bigger names falls to the Vikings. We were kind of looking at like Garrett Bradbury as somebody that the Vikings have been interested in. They've interviewed with him. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit on the podcast as well. He plays center. It would make Elfline move to guard. Uh, but we've kind of talked about like why that might be all right or whatever. He might fall now. He probably wasn't going to get past the Panthers at pick 16, but now they signed Matt Paradis. Now they have their center, so they aren't going to go get like the best center in the draft. And now that's somebody that the Vikings have shown interest in that has that much greater of a likelihood of falling to Minnesota. And now that the Odell Beckham trade happened, that gives the Giants first round pick or the Browns' first-round pick to the Giants, and now the Giants, who just extended a center and even let Brett Jones go to the Vikings for cheap because they were so confident in that guy, they're not going to pick Garrett Bradbury. So now suddenly, if that guy was going to fall to the Panthers, now he kind of falls right to the Vikings. And a lot of those things happen. And I'll, I'll link the tweet in the show notes so you can see just kind of like the magnitude of this, but there's like seven or eight teams picked up an offensive line that maybe would have drafted one otherwise, and they're all in front of the Vikings. So... 
maybe playing the draft board is the right move here. Their likelihood of having the opportunity to draft a really good offensive lineman has gone up significantly in the last 48 hours, and playing that market might be a better move than throwing a whole bunch of money at, like, a guard. And we've also spoken a lot on this show, and I've spoken on other shows, about how guard maybe isn't as important as, like, a defensive lineman or a safety or whatever. You know, throwing a whole bunch of position uh, of money at that position is maybe not the wisest thing that a team can do, even if it's been a need for a long time. That still doesn't mean that that position matters more in the grand scheme of things. Maybe it's smarter to try to get that through the draft. And by the way, it'll be way less temporary if they solve it through the draft. So if, if you're sick of complaining about the offensive line and sick of, you know, having guys like Alex Boone that are only here for a hot second, you should want the Vikings to address this through the draft as well, because... I mean, I, I would much rather have Brian O'Neill's all day than Riley Reefs, and I think we can all agree to that. I, I think last year they got bamboozled in the draft, and you're risking getting bamboozled again, but I don't think it's going to happen to them twice in a row, and I think if there is a run that starts, you might see the team trade up and do it, which is something I don't think I'd support, but they're going to do what they have to do. I don't think that they're just going to go into the season with like Danny Isadora and Nick Easton starting at guard. They're going to do something here. I can't wait to find out what it is. And when we do find out what it is, we'll decide if that's a good move or not. But right now, I don't think that we're going to end up with the Vikings did nothing. So that is where I am going to leave this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening. We will talk again tomorrow for the last time this week. The league year will have actually opened up. And we can actually talk about some of these deals in uh, all of their like officialness. And hopefully we'll have a little bit better of an idea as to where the Vikings are going with some of their restructures and some of the talent already on the roster. And then from there, it's going to be draft season all the way through the big weekend. So I can't wait to share all that stuff with you. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.